education, in my opinion, is one of the most powerful weapons that we can wield in the correct way and use it to, you know, reverse stigma or eradicate stigma where we are right now in in the country, right? With all of the racial inequality and all of that education, that's a huge part of it. Same with mental health, because in many ways, the mental health stigma and then the racial stuff, it's very, you know, it's very, they have that, that thing in common where nobody wants to really talk about it. podcast. Happy Seek the Joy Tuesday. I'm your host, Sydney Weiss, and on the podcast this week is Akia Red. She's a mental health advocate, author of Be Free, Be You, and founder of Real Girls Fart, fearless, authentic rescuer trailblazer. I love this episode and I'm so excited to share it with you guys. Akia really uses her own life experience and history with mental health to help other women find their voice and let it out. And so I was so excited and honored to sit down and have this conversation with her where we really talk all about her own mental health journey. She so vulnerably opens up about her own breakdown that led to a breakthrough and the inspiration behind her organization, Real Girls Fart, which by the way is a genius name, but it stands for Fearless, Authentic, Rescuer, and Trailblazer. Akia shares with us how we can really begin removing the stigma around mental health and really the important role of education in conversations surrounding not only mental health and compassion, but also racism. She shares with us her tips for speaking to children about racism, police brutality, and what's going on in the world, and really encouraging truth-telling in these circles and in these conversations, and just how important it is to educate ourselves on not only Black history, but to make sure that Black accomplishments and Black joy and Black liberation and Black love is included in those conversations too. Plus, we talk about how Akia is navigating her own experience with mental health while being of service to others, why it's important to be mindful about what information you're taking in online, her go-to affirmation, her biggest dream, and so much more. I really loved connecting with Akia, and I'm so excited to share this week's conversation with you. It is so important that we normalize conversations around mental health and normalize our own experiences with mental health. And so I'm so grateful for everything that Akia shared, and it never ceases to amaze me how when we are open about the ups and downs in our own lives and we share our story how it can really impact someone else and serve as a space of hope and inspiration. And so I'm just, I'm so excited to hear what you think about this week's new episode. Make sure to join the conversation. We are at Seek the Joy Podcast everywhere. If you listen on Spotify, hit follow. If you're on Apple Podcasts, hit subscribe and leave us a rating and review. Ratings and reviews really help the show get seen by new people and it shares with others what Seek the Joy Podcast is all about. And if you liked this week's new episode, make sure to share it with a friend or two. 
All right, guys, I promise this is it. We're going to dive in to this week's new episode with Akia. It is such a beautiful conversation focused around education and mental health and speaking our truth and coming from a space of really compassion and the role of education in everything that's going on in our world right now. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Akia Red. Kia, I am so excited to talk to you today. You're a mental health advocate and author, and I guess I would love to start off by talking about where did your journey with mental health really begin? Where did your journey with this work begin? Well, before I start, I want to say thank you for having me um, on the show. Um, It's uh, it's just a pleasure to virtually meet you. (laughs) Yes, you too. I'm so excited. Yes, I am too. Um, So where did I begin? So 2016... Um, I had a breakdown, um, and often called breakthrough by Mm -hmm. a lot of people. Um, but I had, you know, dealt with these anxiety, you know, kinds of feelings and thoughts my entire life. Um, I didn't know what to call them though, because growing up as, you know, someone in a religious household, someone being, um, an African-American female, we're taught to, you know, be strong and put our big girl pants on and not really let your emotions show. So I was having all of these feelings and these thoughts and I never knew what to call them because in my training, anxiety wasn't a thing. Depression wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. You just pray that away and you keep moving. Well, I have a saying and it goes like, if you don't deal with life, life will eventually deal with you. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of things that um, I had gone through being a preacher's kid and all of that, that I had kind of suppressed from my childhood that um, I didn't deal with. And then on top of, you know, I got married, not dealing with the issues from my past. And I got married and my husband, he's a wonderful guy, but he played in the NBA So I was a professional athlete's wife and that comes with its own set of um, expectations. Mm -hmm. And so that's what led to the breakdown. It's just a lot of things like on top of each other. And once I had the breakdown and I received my diagnosis and decided to, you know, be treated with therapy and medication, I started writing a blog um, because I wanted to help women know that it's okay. I wanted women to know that they're not alone. I talked to them through my experience in therapy and let them know what I was learning about myself and just about life in general. So that's how I got started on this path. And then more women started to become uh, involved with, you know, what I was writing and then it turned into a book and here we are today. (laughs) Wow. I love what you just shared. And I think so many people listening can relate to this because I think so many of us are taught to be strong the way that you described it and yeah. not really shown or explained at a young age about mental health. Mental health, I think growing up, at least for me, was not always a prominent conversation. Sometimes it was, but it certainly wasn't in you know places like in a religious community or in schools. And so it's almost like you you almost have to give yourself that education through your own experiences. Yeah, no, it's it's so true. Um you know, it's getting better now, totally. Yeah. But um, which I'm, I'm so grateful for that. But you are absolutely right. Growing up, the only conversation that I had, you know, with my parents about mental health was a person on the side of the street that was talking to themselves, mm. or maybe a family member 
who, you know, kind of had that, those same behaviors um, that were very, the very extreme cases of mental illness. And so, but I wasn't taught to have compassion or empathy or even what those types of disorders were. I was just told like, they're crazy, stay away from them because they just don't have it all. Mm-hmm. And I think what that did for me was that even caused me to, you know, stigmatize um, mental illness and mental health disorders. And so when I started having problems, that's, I think, what kind of made me not get help as quickly as I probably should have. Mm -hmm. That element of stigma. I think that's so interesting. And that's such a good point because within stigma is often shame and guilt and fear. And when you are experiencing maybe anxiety or depression or obsessive compulsive, you know, thoughts or feelings or whatever it might be. And then to feel that stigma on top of it, it's, it's such a barrier to getting that help or to even voicing what it is that you're experiencing. Yeah. Again, you're so correct. I mean, I know, um, when I had my, um, breakdown four years ago, I remember, um, being told like as a kid that, you know, when you have these intrusive thoughts and, you know, like me, I wasn't sleeping. So I, you know, was being, you know, according to religious standards, like tormented. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. so I would go downstairs after having panic attacks or while having them, you know, trying, I was pacing and trying to like pray it away the way that I had been taught. But it was, it was so crazy because the more that I did that, the less calm I felt, Mm. the less, um, it just, it got worse. And what I learned about that and I, and, you know, in that I got really angry with, you know, I I went through this phase where I was really angry about why, you know, (laughs) God didn't take it away right then, you know, because that was what I was taught. Mm -hmm. And I went through this whole thing, but what I realized in the journey is that, you know, when you have an anxiety attack or a panic attack and you try to like fight against it, that's the worst thing that you could actually do. Mm-hmm. It's best to just kind of sit in that and allow it to happen. And in the back of your mind or in the front of your mind, wherever you want to place it, you know that it's going to pass. Like a panic attack can't last forever. So if you just kind of let yourself just go through it and not fight against it, then it will be over a lot quicker. And that's the same thing or same principle that I use when I have like a relapse of being depressed or, you know, an anxiety relapse. Um, Because sometimes those things happen, Mm -hmm. even with medication. You still can have, you know, medication maybe help you like 70 to 80 percent, but there's still that, you know, 20 to 30 percent if the medication is working really well. Some people aren't, you know, that fortunate with it. So, you know, you just have to learn how to understand, to, to feel the feels and to know it's okay if you don't feel great that day. Yeah, that's such a good point. Know that it's okay to not feel okay. Yeah. So many of us feel like we have to be on, right? Like all the time or feel yeah. like we have to be okay all the time. And I'm so interested because we have been talking about this element of stigma. In your experience and in your work, how do we begin to maybe remove this element of stigma and, and maybe especially within in communities where I'm trying to think how I want to phrase this question, but especially maybe in communities where there has been such a large stigma, like in the black community, in the African-American community, um, even in religious communities, how do we begin to remove, you know, that stigma? Well, I think, 
and this is really an answer, you know, that I've been leaning on all across the board, mm-hmm. um, you know, with education. Mm. Education, in my opinion, is one of the most powerful weapons that we can wield in the correct way and use it to, you know, reverse stigma or eradicate stigma, you know, where we are right now in in the country, right? With all of the racial inequality and all of that education, that's a huge part of it. Same with mental health, because in many ways, the mental health stigma and then the racial stuff, it's very, you know, it's very, they have that that thing in common where nobody wants to really talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so you are taught to fear what you don't understand. So if we can, you know, understand as much as we can, the brain, understand what these disorders are, these illnesses are, talk to people who actually go through it so that you can learn to walk in their shoes, even though you may not have that diagnosis, but you can try to understand where they're coming from and then have conversations openly about it. Mm -hmm. And I think all of those things combined will help people feel empowered to talk more about it. And then the more people are talking about it, that demand for community support increases, right? And then there's demand that then goes to the healthcare. So it just, it starts really with these types of conversations and then it grows from there. Knowledge is power in that way. And it does come down to education, I think, for so much. What you said is so powerful. You're taught to fear what you don't understand. And so I think maybe for so many of us, the first step is that level of awareness, maybe to yeah. even know that you have that sense of fear or that, um, that confusion, or you're just, you just don't know because you haven't been taught. And then it's that willingness to step forward and, and do that work and immerse yourself in, in that process of education. I love what you shared. I think, like you said, it can be applied to everything. Yes. All across the board. I know when I first received the diagnosis, um, of generalized anxiety, because the depression and the eating disorder stuff kind of came a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, honestly, anybody who is dual diagnosed or anything like that, it's like an onion, right? The, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's that's just how complex and amazing the human psyche is. But that understanding and education, all of that, it, it does, it works all across the board. Because I think that when I first was diagnosed, I decided I'm going to learn every single thing I can Mm -hmm. about generalized anxiety disorder. I'm going to know modes of, or methods of treatment. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to learn like what is within that diagnosis. I'm going to try to talk to people or, you know, read things where other people are having these conversations. I want to hear what the psychiatrists are saying, the psychologists are saying, I mean, I just absorbed my, I put, I just absorbed all of this information. I was a sponge because I'm not going to walk around with a diagnosis and not know what the heck it is. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you'll fear it. If you don't understand when that anxiety comes over you again, and it will, you will start to be scared Mm -hmm. of those feelings. So I feel like I am equipped now when I have an attack, if I do that, okay, I know what this is. I see you. I'm just going to sit here because I understand Mm -hmm. and I'm at it. Yeah. 
knowing what it is that you're coming up against and what it is that you're experiencing. And then this element of being able to empower yourself through it. And this reminds me of what you talked about at the very beginning, that you started a blog based upon what you were experiencing and wanting to share. And so I would love to talk a little bit about that because it's called Real Girls Fart, which I think is yeah. amazing. Fearless, authentic, rescuer, trailblazer. And yeah. it, it sounds like it's a really a space that you created to empower and equip women with the tools that they'll need to use their voices and really become their most authentic selves. So I would love to talk a little bit about this and what it was like for you to just start it and, and to really begin to share it with the world too. It was definitely a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. In general, I've been taught my entire life to, you know, conceal um, and, and, you know, in the words of Frozen, don't feel. I was going to say that song <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just popped conceal, up into my don't head. Feel, don't, don't let, let it show. Know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh my gosh. I've, I've been taught that. And I think a lot of us have, you know, and um, especially when so much of what I experienced as an adult had a lot to do with how I was raised. Right. Mm-hmm. So there were, there, there was this thing of not wanting to expose my family life. Mm-hmm. And so that was tough for me, but I did it because one, it was a part of my therapy. I don't know if anybody has ever done this, that's listening or you yourself, but when I get really mad at something or someone I write a letter like or a journal, mm-hmm. like to tell them how I feel. I may or may not send it. If I send it, I probably write it like three times to make sure that I'm, <laughs> you know, not horribly nasty. Right. Retracting but, all this stuff you you wouldn't want to say. Yes, exactly. And it yeah. takes me about three times. Probably probably on the third time, I'm like, okay, I've got all of it out. But when you go through that exercise, you feel so much better. And so when I started writing the blog and talking about my experiences, I realized that as I, as I started to jot things down on the computer or on paper, it wasn't as cluttered as it was in my head. Hmm. It wasn't so many intrusive thoughts because I, I wrote them down and I was like, oh, it's only like really three major things that I'm really anxious about. In my head though, the three felt like 30. Hmm. So I think it kind of helps you, you know, categorize them and, you know, you, And so for me, it was therapy, but then it was also, okay, I'm also going to help somebody else while I'm doing this because I know that I'm not the only one. And the reason why I came up with those words for the acronym FART was because FART is a word that we have, you know, been taught as young women. We don't say, we don't do. It's not ladylike. It's not ladylike. (laughs) Much like, right, there's a stigma, Mm -hmm. much like there is surrounding the conversation of mental health. Also, mental health is not pretty. Well, neither are farts, Mm -hmm. right? But Mm -hmm. they still happen and it's still a part of life. That's a part of the human experience. And so that's why it was a play on words. And and yeah, and I did it to grab attention, but also to give 
value to something that had been deemed so inappropriate and negative over time. Yeah. The word fart itself has been so stigmatized and it's not pretty, but neither is mental health or your your journey through mental health. And so to A, I think what you're doing is normalizing it, which is so important, but then also B, you're creating a safe space to have those conversations and to feel those emotions and to know, you know, that that it's okay. And I'm so curious for you because I, I've had my own health, mental health journey as well. And it's something that I still, I try not to say struggle with, but I, that I still experience, I think is the best way to put it. And um, for me, it really manifests in the form of anxiety. And so it's been so interesting for me to sort of navigate my own journey while also having conversations about topics such as mental health. And so I'm so curious for you, what has it been like navigating your own mental health journey, your own anxiety, your own depression, your own experiences like you've shared with with eating disorders, and then also be of service to others um, I think especially in this moment right now, and I think to give people context, we're, we're really like in the middle of June, and it's been so powerful to see the conversations around anti-racism and Black Lives Matter really come to the forefront, but I also can see and feel and know that it's having an impact on people and their mental health. So I'm so curious for you, what has this experience been like navigating your own journey, but also being of service? Um, to people at the same time, you know, honestly, it's been it's been really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I can't sit here and pretend that it hasn't been. Um, you know, probably at the beginning of COVID, you know, for I'm sure a lot of people, it it changed my whole way I do business. You mm-hmm. know, author, you know, I I go and speak, and so that's how I make my income. So I, all of the plans that I had, you know, for the business and all of that, you know, I can't do right because, you know, we're not allowed to go and speak. So all of the things that I, I think I was looking forward to. So like the, the speaking, my 40th birthday party, Hmm. the vacation that, you know, I wanted to, um, take with my family. I mean, there, you know, and then my mom had lost her job and, you know, I'm nervous about, you know, my, my parents getting COVID, my in-laws COVID. And on top of that, to your point, I was weaning off of a medicine and starting a new one. Hmm. And if any of you that are listening have ever weaned off of a medicine, it, it can be very, very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. It was, it was hard. I cried every single day for probably about two and a half months. And what I was able to do though, I will tell you is I really, I just let myself feel it. That's what I did. I cried. I let my emotions out. I wrote letters. I journaled. I colored. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I am not above what I tell people to do. I'm telling you I am not this person that is on this mountaintop. And I think that's why that's what makes the message that I give, you know, a little bit relatable because I I mean, I am still overcoming Mm -hmm. and it's been four years since the initial diagnosis. So I still I know that if I am no good to myself, I'm no good to anyone else. So I know if I am holding all of this emotion in and not allowing myself to feel things, 
I am not going to be able to talk to anyone and tell them, you know, to do to do that because I will be a shell mm. of myself. Yeah. That's such a good point. And what you said struck me because this is really a journey, right? It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I think maybe that is a bit of the misconception around mental health is that you figure out what's wrong. You either go on medication or you go to therapy or you find other modalities of healing and then you're okay. But the truth is it's, it's, it's part of it's part of you in 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 a way, um, and it's something that you continue to um, experience and work through. And uh, I just keep reminding myself there are going to be different triggers within every moment, and so it's almost about sort of learning to navigate that as as you go. Have you found that for yourself too? Yeah, that exactly, exactly. And sometimes what worked for you, you know, initially, you might it might not work for you now. Yeah. You might something else, you know, so you might need to tweak, you know, what you're doing and, um, all of that. So you're so right. It is a journey. It is. And I, I look at it like, like I'm all aboard the mental health train, if that makes sense. Like yeah. I'm on it, I'm ready to go. I'm going to keep learning and keep, you know, you keep learning about yourself through it. And what you said too, that what worked for you before may not work for you now. I think, I think that's so important too. I've learned, I've had to learn not to be very rigid with myself and to, yeah. to say, okay, this used to work but I'm going to try something new and then I'm going to try something new again. And I think this element that you, you're so vulnerable and you're so honest about what you're experiencing. And I think there's a lot of comfort in knowing that there are people like you out there who are talking about it and, and are not, not wanting to hide it. And I think especially right now in this moment, not hiding how you're feeling, not hiding what you're experiencing, I think it's the key to unlock everything. No, I agree. I mean, I, I thank you for saying that. I really appreciate you, you, you know, complimenting me in that way. Um, you know, that's always been super important to me um, for my platform and the message that I send and how I show up in the world is very honest, very vulnerable and real because I think that that's the only way that you heal, Mm -hmm. you know, like you've got to expose the very thing that you want to, you know, bring closure to. Yeah. I mean, if I were to sit sit here and tell you like this has been perfect, I think one of the hardest things was for me during this whole COVID thing was, you know, social media, right? Mm -hmm. It was so much information. It was like everybody was going live. Everybody was going live. And it was just like information overload, mm-hmm. right? And then so you have people going live on Instagram, which normally a lot of people go to social media for an escape of some sort, but that was not even an escape because no, you no. were getting all this information, but then you turn on the news, you're getting all of this information. It was just information overload. And one of the things that like people would talk about was, you know, ways that you can still be productive. Ugh. And I get it. Like, yeah, yeah. See, exactly. Ugh. I had that visceral response too, <laughs> because I was just like, okay, I get it, but I'm not about to act like everything is normal because everything is not normal. Mm-mm. Like my body clearly is aware that there is something unseen that is dangerous. Like yeah. <laughs> it's aware. Yeah. You know, um, and, and so I cannot, you know, pretend like, oh, you know, this is just an extended vacation. No, some days I wasn't very protective. I actually think probably for two months because I was going through all of what I was going through with the meds and so depressed, I wasn't very productive, you know, mm-hmm. but it's OK. And I just want people to understand not to beat themselves up. Yes. You know? Yes. 
at the beginning for me, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to do all these things because now I'm working from home. Before I was at an, at an office for over 12 hours a day. Now I'm home. There's, there's all these possibilities, all, yeah. like um, all these new activities I could do. And it was a real quick wake up call, like within five days of, oh no, <laughs> you yeah. cannot do any more than you're already doing. And what you're already doing is a lot. And, you know, you're doing your best. And I realized, I mean, I've always known this, but I really realized through this experience how hard I am on myself and how there's this expectation to do more or this desire to do more. And I've had to really sit with that and think, well, why? Like, why am I, why am I putting extra pressure on myself? Why do I assign myself this new activity that I need to do because now I'm home? And it's taken a lot of introspection, but what you said too about this sensory overload, because I yeah. think that's a huge part of it. And we're, we, the news is everywhere. It's on your Instagram, your Twitter, your Facebook, your TikTok, your news channel. When you go on your email, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. So I think, yeah, managing that element of sensory overload, I think is a challenge and, and a process of kind of trial and error too. Oh my gosh. It is. I, you know, during this time I had to, um, I had to unfollow some people mm-hmm. and they were more, you know, indirect like people that, you know, I don't really know. So like it wasn't, you know, but the content that they were posting was really, really disturbing me, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot. And then I had to mute some people you know, so that I don't see their content all the time. And I, you know, my thing is, is like, you have to, you have to be conscious of how you want to show up in the world and then make sure that that aligns with who you're following and the, and the stuff that you're taking in to your soul. Mm -hmm. Because what you, what you feed upon, honestly, is, is really what you're going to think about all day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, if you're constantly engaged in social media and you are comparing yourself to this person or to that person, even like if you're an influencer and you're trying to like, oh, do what this influencer does to gain more followers or, oh man, I wish my pictures look like hers or that is the kind of thing you're going to take into your soul. And that comparison can be very damaging. No, extremely. Yeah. Extremely. And I think that's where sort of the dangers of social media come in. I mean, don't get me wrong. Social media, I think, is an incredible forum and space. And I have met so many amazing people, followed so many people around the world who I would never have been exposed to otherwise. But then when you start to get lost in that comparison trap, it really messes with you. It really messes with you. So I've had to, I've had to create boundaries. Have you had to create those boundaries for yourself too? In terms yeah. of like, do you limit your screen time? It sounds like you, 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 un, you unfollow people and you mute people, which I think is great. Yeah. So have you had to create boundaries for yourself too? Yeah, I do. I really do. Like, for example, like with all of this stuff going on and all of the posting and stuff, you know, I've been posting a lot of videos um, for education purposes for my followers and such, but like, you know, Facebook is a political, political battleground. So you have to, I just have decided that like after the first week of like getting into some arguments on Facebook, I'm no longer going to engage in that. You know what I mean? Cause it was just so bad for my mental health. Um, same thing, you know, with Instagram. Yeah. I mean, I think, 
you know, for me, since I've struggled with, you know, body image issues and I have a hard time like watching people post all of these fitness pictures of their chiseled bodies and drink this tea and you're going to look like me. The types of things that like I've had to set boundaries against, you know, I'm trying to have a healthy relationship with my body and a healthy relationship with food and a healthy relationship with exercise. They don't obviously know my story and I don't expect them to, you know, know it, but it's just, yes, you have to create those, you know, checks and balances for yourself. And if you don't feel like, you know, you're strong enough to, you know, not get into that comparison trap and you, you know, your mental health is kind of struggling, I would just say, be very honest with yourself and just, you know, unfollow or mute those people. Yeah, I think that's a great tip and so important because we we are creating our own digital communities, our own digital spaces online. You get to choose who you follow and who you interact with. And I think sometimes we forget that. And I've been using social media a lot lately as I think more of an educational space. And so yeah. I would love to talk about these these videos that you've been posting because I've been watching them and mm-hmm. I've been really enjoying them and learning from them. And you posted one recently with your son. Yeah. And I would love to talk about that video and what your son shared because I found it to be it was so powerful and it went back to what we talked about a little bit earlier about yeah. knowledge is power. Yeah. So, um, you know, in the black community, um, when all of this, you know, racial inequality, like, I mean, it's been going on forever, but when, you know, the death of George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor, like all of these recent names um, that have started to surface in the news, there was this, you know, kind of attitude that, you know, black people just didn't want to be the ones educating, um, Mm -hmm. you know, white people. And I felt that for me, that wasn't going to be my angle. I wasn't going to take that approach. Like I was going to make it my business because I've been blessed with the platform that I have to, you know, help educate and to help educate though with love, you know, Mm -hmm. not with hate, not with anger, you know, not calling everybody racist, you know, because that's not it. And understanding and trying to bring unity and understanding that we can't accomplish any of this apart. We have to come together to accomplish what we want to accomplish. So with my son, he had some really strong thoughts and opinions about it. And, you know, it's, it was, it's been hard because, you know, I've had to do drills with him and I've had to have really serious conversations with him because he's 13 and he looks like he's 16 Mm -hmm. and he's black, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, so those conversations were hard and I wanted everyone to see and hear from him how he felt about me having those conversations with him. And so he, you know, said that he wished that he he didn't have to, but he understands that this is the reality that we live in right now. Mm -hmm. But he believes that as well as I do, that his generation is going to be the generation to help facilitate change. And he said that these things have inspired him to, you know, learn everything he can and be one of the leaders that helps make the change. And he wanted young people to continue to protest and continue to fight. And so he's very motivated, you know, (laughs) he's, he's very motivated, um, to, he says that he believes that this has really matured him and shaped his mind 
in a way that, you know, it wasn't before all of this happened. Yeah. It really struck me the the dialogue that you were having with your son because, I mean, I'm white and I think I was aware before, but I'm more aware now that I've never had a conversation with my parents about the police, never mm-hmm. had a conversation with them about um you know, systemic oppression or racism in that way, or, you know, if you get pulled over, I mean, all these things that I think as white people, we really, A, we're not aware of, or B, just took advantage of the fact that we never had to think about those things. And so the reality is that that, that, that is the reality. And so to watch the conversation that you were having with your son and, and to hear what he was saying, I mean, it just, I agree with what he said. His generation is really, I think, I feel going to be the generation that changes yeah a lot of what we're seeing and do you have any advice I guess for parents that are listening or, or really anyone that's listening who has uh, younger people in their life how do you talk to them in the same way that you've talked to your son um, because I think what's so important too and, and I've been having conversations like this in my own circles but it's about not only talking about racism and oppression and the violence against black people, but then also talking about black joy and black love and these more powerful stories. I mean, they're all powerful stories, but focusing on the joy as well. So I'm curious to know, what would you say to someone who, who wants to share all of it with, with younger people in their life, but maybe with anybody in their life? Um, Well, I mean, you know, this question is very fitting for the name of your podcast, Seek the Joy, right? (laughs) It is. Yes. (laughs) So, um, you said it so perfectly. So I believe in, um, this is for anyone, whether they are parents or they're just, you know, teachers, whatever education, not just the way that it's told or written in the history books. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're going to have to go a little bit more of the extra mile. You're going to have to, you know, maybe do some research on the internet and really understand that, you know, Napoleon, he said it, right? He said, history is a, a bunch of lies that was agreed upon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and in many ways, when you get to the root of everything, there are so many things that we have not been taught. Yeah. And not just bad things, the good things. There are good things in history that Black people have accomplished and that, you know, where we came from. And how we had a whole civilization, right? And we were able to function. Those are things that like, it's not fair to even the white kids to not tell them about everything. Yeah, it's I, I feel in a way, it's not just like black kids that were robbed. It's white kids too, because we all deserve to know the truth about this country and about the world we live in. So I think having those balanced conversations about good and the not so good things. I think talking to more, you know, people that don't look like you, that's a huge thing, you know, and uh, inviting them into your circles um, mm-hmm. and be willing to go into their circles. Yeah. That is, that actually will increase probably the level of empathy. And the last thing I think is just allowing yourself, because this just goes with mental health conversations too, allowing yourself to feel uncomfortable. Like it, every conversation is not going to feel good. Every conversation is not going to be comfortable. It's going to be like, ooh, that's terrible. You know what? It doesn't feel great for black people either. Mm-hmm. You know, and realizing that we're both experiencing discomfort at this time 
And that's one starting point that we can both agree on. Yeah. Remembering that discomfort is part of the journey, right? Whether it's your mental health or, um, you know, gaining more empathy or understanding or compassion or just really understanding. I think somebody else's experience requires you to get uncomfortable in that way. I think so many of us sort of shield ourselves from that discomfort, shield ourselves from those conversations because we don't want to say the wrong thing uh, or we don't want to be offensive. But the truth is, is, and I've said this before, I would rather stumble all over myself than to not say anything at all. Um, and I would rather have someone say, hey, Sydney, what you just said you know, is not right. Or, or here's where I can provide you some more education or do you know what I mean? Rather than staying silent, um, out of fear. I think right now the theme is be, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. I think that that's really like the word of the moment. Um, and if we can embrace that, it's going to lead to so much positive change. No, I, Sydney, I completely agree. I think that, um, I will, I will say this, um, Black people, and I'm not trying to be the spokesperson for all Black people, but I know me as a Black female, a Black woman. I do not expect my white friends to be perfect. I do not expect you guys to know everything. What I expect is, is that you're willing to learn and that you're willing to do a little bit of the work yourselves. But I have no problem with questions because Questions are good. That means that you really are curious and you're leading with curiosity. And Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. I think when there are no questions and there are more assumptions, that's when we have issues, right? Like assuming that you know the answer, assuming that you know the why, instead of just leading with the curiosity, like, hmm, why is it that this, or why is that? And for me, it's a breath of fresh air and yeah. I accept that. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for saying that and, and for sharing that. I think that element of curiosity is so important and you're right. Whenever we make an assumption, you know that <laughs> saying like yes. when you make an ass out of you and me, um, yes. my brain this morning is like really going to these far reaching places, but it's true. And I think if we can lead with that curiosity, lead with that compassion that accompanies that curiosity as well, um, yes. I think that's really important too. Do you, do you have a go to like quote or mantra or affirmation, something that you've held on to um, throughout your journey that that's really helped you that, that you could share? Well, it's not, it's not mine. Right. But what I always say is I think about the analogy of being on an airplane mm-hmm. and the flight attendant says, secure your oxygen mask before you secure or before you help anybody else. And so what I did with that analogy is I took that. And now this part is mine, that it's only from the overflow of what's inside our cup that we can give to the world. Mm-hmm. So the overflow is for everyone else. What's inside my cup is for me. Okay, beautiful. <laughs> like That's amazing. <laughs> I love that because you really do have to fill up your own cup and then anything extra you give to others. And I think we don't always think about it that way, right? We think about what we fill up our own cup to share that cup with others, but it's that overflow that you share. That overflow. Oh yes, my God, beautiful. Yeah. I love that. My, <laughs> my last question for you before we go, and it's the question that I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. Um, and that is, what is your biggest dream? Wow. Um, mm, my biggest dream, no one's ever asked me that before, Sydney. Oh Mm. my God. (laughs) Um, Truly my biggest dream is that, um, 
all of the injustices in the world, I know it sounds probably lame and cliche, but that they're made right. Mm-hmm. Like I, my heart is for justice. My heart is for the people who don't have voices. And I want all of them to have voices and to have equality, no matter what they look like or who they are. Mm, that's not cliche at all. I think that's so apropos and um, so needed right now. And Akia, thank you so much for having this conversation with me and coming on the podcast. I have loved every minute of this. I wish we could keep going. I think we could talk for forever. Where can everybody find you, Real Girls Fart, and your memoir, Be Free, Be You, and, and connect and, and learn more? I'm on Instagram at, at Akia Red. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Real Girls Fart. Uh, my website, uh, realgirlsfart.com. And then the book you can find right on Amazon. Perfect. I'm going to put everything in the show notes. So it'll be so easy for everyone to find you and get a copy of the book. And just thank you so much again. Um, this has been This has been so much fun and I can't wait to share it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sydney. Have a wonderful day. 